Chapter Twenty Four of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter Twenty Four. Jimmy knows a good thing. The Baldingsville trains had a penchant for being late. That had been true of them as far back as Pollyanna could remember. If the war had not added materially to their reputation for tardiness, it had furnished them with an excuse for the same, and people in general accepted the situation and said nothing. Yet as Pollyanna waited in the station that spring afternoon, listening to the big clock on the wall, and thinking what an extraordinarily long interval there was between ticks, she was inclined to resent the fact that the engineer of the express had not realised that this was an especial occasion and brought his train in on time. Jimmy's telegram had reached them that morning, taking them completely by surprise, for in order to avoid possible disappointments, he had named a date still two weeks in the future, as the earliest moment it would be safe to expect him, and Pollyanna, sitting demurely in the corner of the station, her eyes upon the too deliberate clock and her pulses racing, as if in the hope of shaming it into emulation, reproached herself for her impatience. He was coming back to her two weeks earlier than she had dreamed of seeing him, and yet she was fretting because a train was three-quarters of an hour late. At last the whistle sounded at the crossing half a mile from the village, and Pollyanna stood up trembling. There was a rather surprising representation of the population of Baldingsville at the station that afternoon. A number of the town's residents were in the habit of going down to the station just about the time the Boston train was due largely because this gave them an agreeable sense of contact with the big world. Then there was generally someone going away, or some passengers arriving, and this furnished material for a conversation at the supper-table. But today word had gone abroad that Jimmy Pendleton was expected back, and a great many people discovered they had errands which would take them in the vicinity of the railway station about four o'clock. Many tender and sympathetic glances were levelled in Pollyanna's direction as she came out upon the platform, but a feeling of delicacy kept her friends at a distance, and on the whole it was as well that they did not try to speak to her, for she would have found it hard to listen to what they were saying. The long train pulled in. There was the usual wait before any passengers appeared, and Pollyanna could hear quite clearly, above the snorting and puffing of the engine, the pounding of her heart. What if he had not come? After all these months of separation, she was suddenly convinced that she could not possibly endure waiting to see him till the next train. One or two people left the forward coaches and looked around in surprise at the unusual crowd. Then something like a cheer ran from one end of the platform to the other. Pollyanna's hands went fluttering through her throat. A man in uniform had stepped from the rear coach, but it could not be Jimmy. He was bigger than Jimmy, for one thing, and browner than Jimmy, and with a decidedly more military bearing. Then she knew that in spite of all these astonishing changes, it really was Jimmy. She started in his direction, but stopped short, overwhelmed by an absurd and unprecedented shyness. She could not run to this magnificent Jimmy as she could run to the Jimmy of yesterday. He must come to her. Apparently Jimmy thought so too. He traversed the station platform with long strides, and before the watching eyes of all the people, his hungry arms went round her. Again the men cheered and the women fluttered their handkerchiefs, after which they used those same handkerchiefs for a more prosaic purpose, wiping their eyes and blowing their noses audibly. 
Jimmy and Pollyanna were blissfully unaware of this little by-play. They were conscious only of each other. "'Are you glad to see me?' Jimmy was demanding between his kisses. "'Yes, I'm terribly glad,' Pollyanna gasped. "'Only, I think I'm a little afraid. You seem so different now you're a captain.' Captain Pendleton disdained to reply. With his arm around his wife's shoulders, he looked anxiously about him, apparently searching for something. "'Why?' he exclaimed in a tone of disappointment. "'I thought—' "'Yes!' laughed Pollyanna. "'I know you are expecting your son here to meet you, but he happened to have a very important social engagement this afternoon.' Captain Pendleton's expression became aggrieved. "'Well, I like that. It's your own fault, Jimmy.' Pollyanna was forgetting her qualms, now this majestic being was proving himself merely human. "'You said that it would be two weeks longer before you could possibly get here, and we had to keep doing something, or we would have gone crazy.' At the time of James's birthday, a number of children had the measles, and Aunt Polly said we would have his birthday party later, when the weather was warmer and everybody was well, and it just happened that we'd fixed on today. Jimmy reflected. "'Well, let's go to the party,' he said. "'I'm ready.' Their progress along the platform was slow. Now that the husband and wife had greeted each other, old neighbours and friends pressed forward. Beldingsville had followed every step of Jimmy's progress with breathless interest. They knew just where his medal had been won, and they were a unit in declaring that he should have come out a major. Pollyanna was radiant as she listened to their greetings. She could have hugged the bronze men who wrung her husband's hand and assured them that the town was proud of him. She could have kissed the woman who made him blush by the warmth of their praise. The little Vermont village was dearer to her that day than ever before. At the end of the platform a surprise awaited them. Standing in the whip-socket of Lou Carroll's shabby hack was an American flag, and Lou, who had served in the Spanish-American War, stood at salute as Captain Pendleton approached. "'It's a proud day, Captain, for us all.' This old shebang of mine is set up to have you for a passenger. Even the horses feel as frisky as colts. He held the door open for them to enter, and then, climbing to his seat, drove away with a flourish. Within the recesses of the cab, Pollyanna chattered breathlessly, and always of trivial things. In our intenser moments, small talk serves the purpose of a sluiceway, relieving the pressure of emotion that might easily become intolerable. The grip of Jimmy's hand on hers hurt, and yet he could not hold it tightly enough. But their talk was of commonplaces, our instinctive refuge when joy or pain puts our self-control to the severest tests. "'When your telegram came this morning,' prattled Pollyanna, "'we thought at first we'd have to postpone the party, and then Aunt Polly decided that the sensible thing was to go ahead with it. You see, we had made the cakes and ordered the ice-cream, for the mothers, not the babies.' and besides having so much to do helped us to get through those endless hours before four o'clock. Jimmy put the hand he held to his lips. "'What do you think of me? All those hours in that infernal train, and nothing to do but listen to the interminable stories of some of my fellow travellers? Only I didn't listen.' "'Poor darling, did it seem long?' "'A lifetime,' Jimmy said, and relinquishing her hand, stooped to her eager lips. At the house Aunt Polly was waiting near the door. She was flushed and excited, but tremendously aware of the necessity of living up to the standards of the Harringtons at a moment like this. Close behind her was Nancy, in the whitest of ruffled aprons, and with the reddest of cheeks, squeezing her handkerchief into a little ball and swallowing continually. Aunt Polly spoke with fine dignity. 
Welcome home, dear boy. We are proud of you. She kissed her towering nephew-in-law as if she were conferring upon him the order for distinguished service. Then Aunt Polly had the shock of her life, for Nancy's emotions had reached the point where they could no longer be restrained. She threw her arms around Jimmy's neck, gave him a resounding smack, and burst into tears. Oh, Mr. Jimmy, she sobbed, of all the days the good Lord ever made, this is the wonderfulest and the gladdest. It is, it is. Nancy, exclaimed Aunt Polly, in an awful voice, upon my word. And then she paused. Captain Pendleton had returned Nancy's hug with interest and kissed her quite as empathically as she had kissed him, and was calling her a blessed old girl. And Aunt Polly, instead of continuing her scolding, only smiled feebly and shook her head as if to intimate that the ways of the new generation were past understanding. And now the greatest moment of the day had come. Pollyanna tugged at her husband's sleeve, and he turned quickly to follow her. The mothers of the visiting babies had gone to the dining-room for their ice-cream, and the little folks had the front room to themselves. There were eight of them recruited from the village and the outlying farms, and, as all the toys of James Pendleton, Jr., had been brought downstairs for their entertainment, Aunt Polly's living-room presented the appearance of an unusually well-populated nursery. Jimmy stopped in the doorway and looked wonderingly about him. For the moment the children paid little attention to him. The room was full of delightful primitive babble, in which occasionally a trained ear might have detected an intelligible word. But, for the most part, all eight babies were talking at once in a language no adult could hope to understand, although, apparently, it met every requirement of the voluble users. A little creature near the door trotted on its knee, a teddy bear almost as large as itself, keeping time to an improvised chant. Close by, a larger child piled blocks laboriously one upon another, though so inaccurately that each time the tower measured four blocks in height it toppled over. Other babies were shaking rattles furiously. One might hug to her heart a rag doll with a black topsy-like face and crooned over it maternally. Pollyanna, standing at her husband's side, saw his face clouded by an expression of perplexity. The eight babies represented a considerable range in age, from six months to eighteen, but Jimmy's experience was not sufficient for enabling him to estimate the degree of development to be looked for in a child the age of his son and heir. He saw that some of the little heads were practically bold, that others were covered with the tiniest curls, while one was distinguished by a real head of hair. He noticed that some of the soft cooing mouths were toothless, while others displayed anywhere from two pearl-like appendages of the upper gum to something suggesting a set of teeth, at least to a casual observer. But which of these alluring mites of humanity was his offspring he had no idea, except for the little creature whose ecstasy over the ragdoll revealed her femininity. He did not really know which were boys and which girls. Jimmy turned his eager glance upon his wife. "'Introduce me, Pollyanna. I can't stand the suspense any longer.' Pollyanna's eyes laughed back at him. The reaction from the strain and terror of the past two years had made her feel ridiculously like a little girl. There was pure mischief in her smile. "'Pick him out, Jimmy. Do you mean that you can't tell your own child? For shame!' Jimmy shook his head doubtfully and advanced into the room for the purpose of giving his occupants a closer, more detailed study. The babies, for the first time, became aware of him. The teddy bear, the blocks, the rattles, a fine rubber cow that squeaked when it was squeezed, 
all ceased to engross the attention of the group. Only the child with the rag doll in her arms swayed her body back and forth, singing tunelessly to her nursling, as oblivious to Jimmy's presence as if he had still been in France. This big silent man, in an unfamiliar costume, did not impress all his observers favourably. The yellow-haired baby, who had been amusing himself with the teddy bear till the time of Jimmy's entrance, put up his lower lip in a fashion, which to the weather-wise of babyland suggests squalls. The castle-builder, after giving Jimmy a long discriminating stare, turned his face in the opposite direction, blinking his eyes very fast. Two of the remaining babies, having looked the newcomer over, voiced their sentiments by lusty howls and forthwith a whimper spread from one to another, as if it were the sentiment of the meeting to make it unanimous. But one of the group had a mind of his own. Already he disdained to be swept off his feet by mob hysteria. He fixed his eyes on the tall, motionless figure with an expression peculiarly daring, and then suddenly his mouth widened in a roguish grin that revealed two infinitesimal teeth. The grin expanded. Dimples showed in the soft baby cheeks, and above the noise of the crying they heard his cheery chuckle. Captain Pendleton took a quick step forward and gathered the smiling baby into his arms. At his elbow he heard Pollyanna's ecstatic gasp. "'Jimmy, you're wonderful! The moment I told you to pick him out, I'd have given anything to take it back. I don't know how I could have borne it if you had chosen the wrong baby. But how? How did you know?' Holding the laughing child against his shoulder, Jimmy turned his glowing face upon her. "'Why, it was easy,' he boasted. "'Look at the others and look at him. Why, he started already, Pollyanna. Hear him laugh, the rascal. Started playing the game.'" The End End of Chapter 24 Recording by Claire End of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis-Smith